Yeah, wicked true. So uh, I've, been, I've been reading a little bit more in uh, the book of Romans. I love, I love reading Paul's letters and, and what he has to say. And so I just wanted to go back to, uh, to the very beginning of the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 14 is the first part where we're going to start off at. And it says this. It says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I love that this is how he, he introduces this topic for us. He says, he, just off the, off the bat, he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. So that's great. Hey, hey we're, I'm, I'm obligated to everybody, all kinds of different people. That's amazing. I love that. And then he says, both to the wise and to the foolish. There, it's this, today's society is pretty crazy right now, right? Um, I mean, we have we have some pretty wise people that we can be around, but there's a, there's a lot of foolishness that's been going on, um, just a ton more it seems like. Especially being on social media, I've mentioned this multiple times, but being on social media, you start to see that there's a lot of different narratives that have been popping up recently. Um, my, my wife Danielle and I, we <clears throat> we recently have been hearing a lot about this documentary that's been floating around. And so, uh, so we finally bit the bullet, and we, we got a Daily Wire subscription so we could watch this documentary. And one of the documentaries is called What is a Woman? Seems like a pretty simple question, straightforward. What is a woman? But this is about an hour and 40 minutes worth of, of things that just grieved my heart the more and more that I, I was listening to, to people try to describe their definitions for a lot of these things. And this is what's, what's happening a lot in, in, uh, in academia. A lot of people who are teaching students and people who are coming in to try to figure out what they want to do and what they want to be when they grow up and when they, they proceed on with their life. And, um, and even it, when you're going down into the school systems, um, it hasn't necessarily hit Popper Bluff. Where this area is, is fairly slow when it comes to lots of things that progressivism tries to push through. And yeah, amen. Um, and, so, and so we haven't seen something like that, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to try to push itself into the system either. Um, so a benefit that we have is that we have the benefit of seeing what's happening and then also making sure that we're prepared. But there's, there's something that's very interesting as you start to see this narrative that starts to be pushed around that, that there are some, some people who seem to want to distort the meaning of what certain words are. And this is why this is very important for us, especially as a body of Christ to know what the word says. Because if we're, if we're very unfamiliar with our Bible, if we're very unfamiliar with what the Bible teaches, then it's very easy for us to, with, especially if you're compassionate. This is something that I've noticed that the enemy does, um, especially in today's society. It's, it's not so much of a, of a strong arm as far as you have to be the largest person and the, and the most, like the biggest bully as far as physically pushing people around. But it's, can you out-talk somebody from what they believe? Can you have something that can actually you can a lot of people will talk in circles and then finally wear somebody else out and and end up having them believe something that's alternate to what is actually true and so you see things that are very wise and things that are very foolish that are happening but paul he very much so doesn't say i'm only called to you wise people praise the lord for you we're holding on for dear life hoping that all things are going to go well because these foolish people are just out to do all kinds of craziness that's not what he says here. He says, I'm called to the wise and the foolish. And I think this is something that we need to also be very familiar with ourselves because, because there's a lot of people who are very compassionate. 
and their compassion, they're leading with their compassion to the point to where there's, they're compromising their true beliefs. Jesus tells the woman at the well that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I've mentioned before that that phrase could be seen all throughout the book of John and John's writings and be understood as the spirit of truth as he speaks many, 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 many times. So in the Greek, you could actually maneuver those words to where it makes sense that way too. So true worshipers worship the Father in the spirit of truth. And so we have a lot of people who are extremely compassionate. I mean, I know so many people who just have such a heart for for people not being wronged, for people getting getting what um, what they deserve, for justice to be served, for for uh, for the iniquities of people to be to be recognized, and for those who are doing wrong to to be brought out and exposed, and all those things. And praise the Lord, right? Amen. But they allow that compassion, and they allow the narrative that other people speak to distort what they truly believe. And so Paul is specifically saying, I'm called to the Greek and the non-Greek. I'm called to those who are living here and those who are unlike those who are living here. I'm called to both the wise and to the foolish. We're not pushing away those who are foolish and say, I just give up on them. That's it. And I think we're seeing a lot of Christians who are doing this today. Some people are fed up with this narrative. Amen, right? Um, I, I hate that the enemy is, is twisting and manipulating people into believing things that they're not, for, for twisting their identities to where they are, they are believing a lie of who they are and who they were created to be, and, and that, that pains me to see that. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to push them off to the side and completely give up on them. But it does mean that we are supposed to be wise. Proverbs says we have to be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. And so whenever we approach these things, for me personally, and, and again, this is me personally. I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, don't post this on Facebook, because that ain't in there. Uh, so, but for me personally, the way that I deal with conversations is that I don't necessarily jump on social media and try to find an argument that I can insert myself into. I, do, I don't believe that is, for me, the, the best strategy for how I deal with things and how I am able to have conversations with people. First off, because a lot of people who post things who are very, that, that's very uh, trigger happy, I guess you can say, <laughs> that's very easy for them to just spout off, a lot of them are looking for an excuse to argue with somebody. They're not looking for their mind to be changed. It's not a, a free thinking area. It's a free speech area, but not so, well, kind of. Um, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, free, it's, it's not so much of a, hey, let's learn from one another. I'm going to post this. Let, what say you in this topic? It's more of, I'm saying this and anybody else who thinks otherwise can, can, you know, go places. And so, and so I choose not to really have conversations specifically there. But for me, I love to have conversations with those people face to face. It's a lot more fruitful for me to be able to have a conversation with somebody there. And, and also, it also helps whenever I have a relationship with that person because they know my heart for them and they know that I truly care and have compassion for them. Because we can't forget the greatest commandment that Jesus said, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. If we negate love, then all we're doing is speaking truth, which is very harsh when it's, when it's without love. Truth without love is always gonna be harsh and it's always gonna be taken uh, taken incorrectly. Now you can speak truth and love, it'll sting. They may not react a great way, but they know deep down inside that you care about them and what you say has weight because of your love. Lord, we have only gotten through one verse. Okay, so 
So I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. This is why I'm, no long, I'm, I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Everybody say, I'm not ashamed. Yeah, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, th- there's a guy I really respect, a, a theologian. He's uh, a wonderful biblical historian. His name is Craig Keener. And Craig Keener, in his commentary over the book of Rome, uh, Romans, he says this, that righteousness here, it means justice. And scripture often relates his righteousness and justice with his, faithful, his faithfulness or his love. So a lot of times we're crying out that justice has to be served. Righteousness must be rendered. But we negate love in the midst of that. We need to make sure that we carry love for one another because we're called both to the wise and to the foolish. It's easy as Christians a lot of times, especially if we've been a Christian for a long time, it's easy to feel a certain way of sometimes superiority to some people who are not, who are not believers, especially when they have wild ideas that are completely against what we believe. And so sometimes it's, it's a, we have a righteousness that comes along with that to where we feel the, the burden and the passion for that. But at times it could also feel like we're speaking down to people whenever we're confronting them about things. <coughs> and this happens whenever we're not speaking in love. Sometimes we, we get so quick. Um, I, I mean, I saw, I'm going to dig myself in, in, a, in a little hole a little bit, but um, I saw many people when Ro, Roe v. Wade was, was overturned that the first thing they did was they posted like four or five things that were so condescending and not very helpful to the narrative of what we were so excited about. To where if somebody didn't believe in Christ when they read those things, they wouldn't feel the love of Christ in the midst of that comment. It was actually made to make them look like fool, like they're fools. In reality, when you try to make someone look foolish, you end up looking foolish at some point in time. And so, yes, we celebrate the goodness, the righteousness of God, his, his, his enduring love, the law that has been upheld. But the Pharisees were also accused many times by Christ for holding the law so high up here, his righteousness, his justice, yada, yada, this, yada, yada, that. This is so good, and you guys are all terrible. And they were also accused of not having love, of not knowing God in the midst of this. Man, it's, it's, it's wonderful for us to, to be able to know what, what certain things say, but if we actually don't have the relationship with God and we're not led by the Holy Spirit in our conversations, then guess what? It's gonna be pretty difficult for us to be able to show people what it means to be a Christian. We end up just superimposing our beliefs on people without actually showing them Jesus in the process. And so we need a balance, though. We do need a balance. <coughs> We need a balance, because if we don't have a balance, then all of a sudden, then, then that's what I said earlier. We have a lot of compassion over here, which compassion is awesome, and it's great. But when it doesn't have truth, then we're just lying to people, and we're actually aiding them in their sin. And we're allowing them to continue to sin over and over and over again, because we refuse to present the truth to them. So we have to have this, this beautiful balance. And this is something that I think um, Jesus displayed time and time again. And this is what, this is what Paul said um, going further on in verse 18. 
He said this. He said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the, their truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. <laughs> Nowhere did he say, I made it plain to them that they were all stupid and that they were all going to get jacked up because of what I'm saying and I'm bringing on the righteous justice, crazy hand of, of, of uh, discipline to all these guys because they're all dumb. The foolish, I'm called to them and I'm going to wipe them all out right here. Paul, me, this is the guy. I'm the one to do it. He lived that life, right? You remember that? Pre-Christian? He lived that life of persecuting people and, and, and bringing the hand of justice, the rod of discipline. He was the one that came and he was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in jail. He was killing these guys. He was doing crazy stuff like that. He was very familiar with that narrative, but he's saying this is what God is doing. God, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress their truth by the wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Go outside and look at the sky. Go outside and look at the mountains. Go outside and look at all these different things that God has created. It is very evident that it was not just some kind of weird little blip that happened, and then all of a sudden all this amazing stuff happened. Have you guys ever been just like hanging out, like sitting in your car, or maybe you're like taking a shower, or you're just like, you're by yourself, and you, your mind just starts going into like this really crazy thought process of like, whoa, I have blood in my body. Do you ever do that? Like, oh my gosh, there are like cells inside. Whoa, this is, my skin is stretchy. Whoa, like, do you ever do that? Or is it just me? I'm just the weirdo? Okay, that's cool. Sean, thank you. Sean and I are the weirdos in the room. So I, I had this thought the other day, just like how bonkers it is that hair grows from my face. Just how nuts is that, that I have hair that grows from my face, but Chelsea doesn't have a mustache? Like, how crazy is this? Like, like we, that, that, that I have stretchy skin, that, that I have nails that are only right here on my fingers. Like, how, and they're very purposeful. Like, I started having these, these thoughts, and I was like, there is no way that someone could have just made this up. That when I cut my arm, it just heals itself as time progresses. Like, my body does that. I'm not like, healing myself right now. <laughs> Boom, my skin is well. I don't know how that happens. I'm moving my fingers, but I'm not like, I don't know how that all works. It, I just do it. I've been doing it since I've been, like, born. <laughs> and so, and so to, to think that, that this, this is not all made by someone who is a mastermind, a master thinker, someone who is much higher in their capabilities of creation, someone who is much greater than anything else that I could ever make myself into, to think that there is no one who is like that is completely bonkers. And so God makes himself known to people, but they choose not to believe. I, I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk the other day, and he said that, that atheists are probably the most like God-affirming people that you could ever think of in, in your life. Because in their name is literally God, atheist. Theism means that, that, that there's a God. So an atheist is someone who is denying God. They're saying no to God. And so 
And so they're choosing, people are choosing to not believe this. And one of the things that can actually change somebody's mind is when they encounter the love of God. When they encounter someone who truly loves God and doesn't place judgment upon them from the first time that they meet them, or even progressively as they're seeing them. You see, you can speak truth without judging somebody. You can. It's possible, 100%. You can speak truth without judging somebody because it is not you who brings them to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit who brings people to repentance. It's him, it's, it is he who draws man to receive salvation. It is our responsibility to, as Paul puts it, not be ashamed of the gospel. Our full responsibility as a Christian has nothing to do with, with manipulating people into praying a prayer. Because nowhere in the book does it say that we are supposed to make people pray prayers. Nowhere. That, the, the sinner's prayer was actually something that, that was created. Uh, Pastor Ken, help me if I, if I don't remember this correctly. Um, was, has it been like about 100 years, 200 years? Okay, I, the sinner's prayer, it, it's foggy in my, in my memory right now. That's what I get for not looking at my notes for that stuff. Um, but in the past 100 to 200 years is when the actual sinner's prayer was instituted into the church where people were doing that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to get them to pray this, 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 or that. I remember when I was a little kid, I was, uh, I was helping out in kids' church. It was one of, my, one of my new responsibilities. I was super excited, and one of the first times that I ever led anybody to the Lord, I was, I think I was like 10 or something like that, and my children's pastor said, hey, there's this young man, and he would like to know Jesus. Um, I'd like for you to sit down with him and just talk him through it. And he sat there with me and was going through it, and I, I had heard people in different concerts and different altar calls and things like that say, all right, if you'd like to pray the sinner's prayer, go ahead and pray this with me. I'm like, okay, cool. So, like, does anybody have this written down? I need, like, this memory sheet. Like, I need to go ahead and, like, fixate it so I can have it word for word. Can we pass this out to somebody when they're ready to do this? Like, where is this found? It's like the second book of Hesitations, chapter 29. Um, If you didn't get that, ask the person next to you. That's all right. Um, It's not in there. But the Bible does say, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And so a lot of times we, we are pushing for people to do things that even, even we don't understand what we're doing. And this is what traditionalism does a lot of times. When we're so seeped in, in a specific tradition and we don't, don't connect ourselves to the true relationship, why is it that you believe in Jesus Christ? What is it that, that, that Christ has done in your life recently? Do you have a testimony that you can share with somebody? There are a lot of people who are nervous to share their faith because they, they don't know how to do it. Like, what's the step one, step two, step three? The, the Revelation says the testimony of Jesus is as a spirit of prophecy. Is that correct, Pastor Ken? Yes, Revelation. I knew it was John's writing, but I couldn't remember which one. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So, so what does this mean? It, it, for me, this is, this is the, the, the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done inside of me, and then I'm prophesying to them as I'm giving them my testimony that this could be your story as well. You don't have to be a quote-unquote prophet. You don't have to be Elijah. You know, you don't have to be John the Baptist in order to prophesy to somebody. When I tell my testimony and tell people what Jesus has done inside of me, I'm telling them 
that this story that I'm sharing with them is possible for you too. If he could do it for me, then he could do it for you. You don't have to be the greatest theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have uh, an ordination. You don't have to have a license in ministry. You don't have to have all the training in the world. You could be saved for a day for 10 minutes and you can go and evangelize people right there because you have a testimony of being brought from death, hell, the grave, from sin, from condemnation, from suffering, from all those things. And you could tell them, hey, this is what Christ did for me in the midst of my junk. This is truth right here, and that will be convicting to them. And it's not that you're pushing it on, but like, you have to do this because this is what I did. No, you can share your testimony with someone, and they can feel. They can feel the gravity. They can feel the weight of what Christ did for you, and then they'll desire for that to be in them too. It may not even be in that moment, but as you live your life in faith, because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, as you live your faith, that will be the substance that they can hope for later on because they can see, wow, this person through the trials, through the tribulations, through the good things and through the bad things, they've remained constant. They've remained steadfast. They've remained true because they can see that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news, the good news of what Christ did inside of you and what he is doing inside of you right now and what he will do in you in the future. I was, I was talking to the students about worship. They, uh, a lot of times when I go to these youth camps, if they just want me to do a little breakout session, most of the time it's like, hey, do a session over worship. And that's like the hardest thing for me to do. You may think it's super easy, but because of all the studies that I've done, I want to talk for like 12 hours over the topic. So it's like to try to find one thing is so difficult for me. But I, I came up with this, with this phrase as I was meditating on John chapter 4 the other day. Um, I may have shared this with you guys before, but the way that I've, I've looked at worship now is very simply in this, in this kind of phrasing. It is remembering for the future today. You guys remember that? I think, I'm, I think I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Remembering for the future today. So I'm remembering the good deeds of Christ and what he did before so that in the future, I know that he can do it again. So today I'm gonna live for him knowing that what he did in the past tracks well so that I have faith for the future. So right now I'm not gonna worry and complain and, and act like my future is bleak remembering for the future today. And so my response in the midst of that is worship. My response to remembering is something that's gonna be something that pushes me into living a life that reflects who Christ is and not who Zach is. Because if I'm living off of what I can only do, then guess what? That's gonna be very limited, extremely limited. There are many things that I'm not good at, many things that I struggle with, many things that I'm, I'm still having to contend with and figure out what do I think about this? But the all-knowing one, if I put my faith in him and trust that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me can guide me like the word says, then guess what? It's gonna be much easier for me to surrender myself to the one who made all the stretchy skin stuff. <laughs> it's gonna be much easier for me to do that because I myself am not able to, to, to do what I need to in order to live and to be who I've been created to be. Still going. Verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. You would think that he would say something like, Even though they knew God, they didn't go to church Sunday. 
even though they knew God, they didn't, you know, go on the, the most strict Bible plan to where they were making sure they were reading four hours a day, every single day. Now you would think that if they, they knew God, they would have been, he didn't go through a list of all these things. He said that they would not glorify him and they would not give him thanks. Two, two very, like, simple things that he's talking about here. Uh, many times when we, when we live in, in Christendom, when we've been a Christian for a while, at least for me, pastor's kid from, like, from pre-birth, <laughs> um, I have been around a, a, a position to where it's, it's easy to think that I need to go to another level, and then another level, and then I need to do this, and I need to gain this kind of thing. But in reality, <clears throat> it's not... I need to move my way up the corporate ladder of Christendom. I just need to remain steadfast. I just need to remain consistent. I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have this written down, but uh, Mike Bickle in about 2018 at, at the One Thing Conference, he said that true Christianity is not about how many conferences you can go to, how many worship services you can attend. It's about decades of steadfastness. That's true radical Christianity right there. Being radical doesn't mean that you have to have the, the most Christian t-shirts that you're wearing all the time and doing. I mean, these are things that are, that are great, but they're very like sub, 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 sub category that's fine for us to do as Christians. But the main thing is, can we remain consistent? Can we remain steadfast in our relationship and connection with the Lord? Uh, Scott Lindsay from Logos Bible Software um, he was going through a, uh, a study that was done at the Center for Bible Engagement, polling 40,000 people from the ages 8 to 80. And it said this, that for those who are in the Bible four times a week, just four times a week, feeling of loneliness dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Having bitterness in their relationships, whether if it's with family, with friends, uh, spouses, with children, with who, whoever. Bitterness in those relationships dropped 40%. This is crazy. Alcoholism dropped 57%. And then spiritual stagnation, where you feel like, I've just been stuck for a long time. I just don't know. That dropped 60%. Let me read that again, because that's, that's shocking. Just being in the Word four times a week. This, we have a seven-day week. 24 hours in each of those in each of those days and just being in the Bible four times a week that these results occurred feeling lonely drops 30 percent because you know that you are inhabited by the God of the universe and that he leads you and guides you in everything so you don't feel like you're lonely because you know that you are your identity is fit in him you don't have to worry about do I have um, a spouse right now or, or do I have the kind of um, multiple friends that I feel like I want to have. I'm watching all these shows online, and it's giving me this, this image of what life should be like, and, and it's, my life just doesn't look anything like that. And these people look so awesome and amazing, and, and they look like they're having such a good time, but my life looks nothing like this. That drops and diminishes because you realize whose you are and what his plan is for you. is just to be close and to be near with him. Anger drops 32%. You're no longer angry at people because you realize that people... Do not complete you. You realize that your identity is not found in what other people's image of you should be. So you're no longer angry at those things. And you also start to realize that guess what? 
if I've been wronged by somebody, I can actually forgive those people before they ask for forgiveness. And you say, well, you're crazy, Zach. I know. Because you start to realize how much, when you go back through the Rolodex of things in your life, you start to realize, man, I messed up here, 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 I messed up here. Ah, still messed up there, still messed up there, still messed up there. You realize, oh my gosh, for God to forgive me and to have grace and compassion and patience for me in my life and the things that I'm experiencing, even what I'm going to do in 25 minutes that I have no idea what's going to happen, maybe I don't react the way that I need to, he still chooses to forgive me in the midst of that because of what Christ did on the cross. And so guess what? I can't stay angry at somebody for one or two or maybe 45,000 things that they did. Because even Peter was like, yo, 70 times seven? Or was it seven times a day? Can I forgive him? And Jesus is like, try 70 times seven daily. <laughs> what? I got to forgive people that many times a day? I don't even know if they can wrong me that many times in one day. I mean, some people may try to test it, and that's fine. But still, he says you can do that. So guess what we don't have to do? We don't have to remain angry at people because they don't complete me. They're not the ones living inside of me. They're not the ones that I find my identity in. It's actually Christ. And Christ went to the cross for my dumb behind. And so guess what? He went to the cross for their dumb behind too. Paul came for the wise and the foolish. The most foolish person Christ still came and died for. So if he came and died for them, gave his life, even if it was just for them, he still gave his life, which is the most precious life that has ever lived in the history of all people. And so if he gave his life for them, I need to get over myself a little bit. And I need to really look. I need to really have reverence for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And for the power of God to raise him from the dead. So that once and for all, we don't have to go and make amends or, or, or make any kind of, uh, you know, physical sacrifices. We offer our lives. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow after me. He didn't say, pick up your cross and make sure your friend over here picked up their cross too. Because you're responsible for them. You pick up your cross and you follow. And guess what? The, the, the example that you live in your life that will be attractive to people because they'll realize that this person should be angry. They should be extremely frustrated and they should be mad. But something's different about the way that they're acting. They love with a love that's just otherworldly, it seems like. Yeah, it's otherworldly because it's from heaven. So anger drops 32%. The bitterness in relationships, again, going through being able to forgive those who have wronged you. That, that's something that's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to stand up and just say, forgive them, brother, that's all you gotta do, that's it. It's, it's not always that easy. <laughs> People can be pretty cruel and manipulative, and you can have some crazy stuff happen in your life that would absolutely warrant you to be aggravated and angry. But just before in these scriptures that we just read, it says something here. It said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godless and the wickedness of people. When we hold unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts, we are trying to punish those people for something that they did. I love C.S. Lewis. I love reading C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis says it's like, like taking poison, looking at that person that wronged you, and then drinking it. Ha ha! That'll show them. You're dying on the inside while that person continues to live their life. Whether if it affects them or not, that you're having hard eyes for them or not, it doesn't matter. Because you yourself are bitter from the inside out. And that doesn't affect just your relationship with them. It starts to affect your relationship with everybody else. But when you read the word, it's hard 
hard to hold on to that bitterness. Because whatever the enemy tries to infiltrate you with, when you meet it with truth, you have a choice to make. Either A, you're walking away from truth and you're choosing to hold on to the lie because you think it makes you feel better. Or B, you're going to have to let go of that lie and that bitterness and you're going to have to hold on to something that's much more foundational, much more steadfast, much more true, much more uh, freeing than anything else that you could ever do over here because we are not strong enough to pursue the kind of righteousness that can only come from God. But when we display his righteousness in our own lives, then it convicts other people because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, not because I'm just so ever-loving awesome. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. So when you allow Christ to shine through your life, then you become an agent of the gospel. You don't have to be on some kind of religious crusade and have to be the, the, the main face going up and speaking in different places and, you know, drop kicking all the doors of all these places that are doing these evil and wicked things. People have been doing dumb stuff since the dawn of creation. In Genesis, it said that God created all these things and it was good. He never said that they were perfect. So still, they had the choice to choose to disobey God or choose to obey God. And sooner or later, they went through the process of disobeying God. And in his compassion and his mercy, he still offered a way of hope. That's the kind of God that we serve. I'm going to read 21 again. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Craig Keener says that God's wrath is revealed against those who suppress the truth with their unrighteousness. You know, when we continue to do repetitive sin and when we walk in unrighteousness consistently, at first you'll feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, sometimes extremely strong. For me, especially whenever I was in my more, more rebellious stage, I would sometimes shake. Like I would have a, like my body was betraying was betraying me and exposing that I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. It was like, I almost like riddled myself with anxiety, thinking like I'm disobeying God. Like I would shake a little bit and my heart would just race. But the more and more I continued in that sin, guess what? The less and less that conviction would shine through. Because as I chose unrighteousness, I started to push away the truth and it started to diminish more in my mind. I had to repent for those things and then I had to seek the face of God to, to feel that conviction the way that I needed to again. Sometimes that conviction was more evident than others. You know, sometimes maybe I, I read something and it challenged me or something like that, but the more people suppress the truth, the easier it is for them to continue on in sin. The easier it is for someone to jump into that. And so what he's saying here is he's saying that, that although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and the birds and animals and reptiles. This truth that they suppress is the truth about God, which they suppress by idolatry. 
Anytime that we disobey God, it always leads back, in my opinion, always leads back to idolatry. This is why, and, and, and I will continue for all of my life as much as I can, as much as I can uh, foresee, speak about the, the, the terror of what idolatry is in our lives. And this is why the first two commandments that God gave from, the Mount, from Mount Sinai was not to have any other gods before us and not to make any graven images. Not to have any gods and place them equal to, to God and not to create any kind of idolatrous image. Because when you worship anything that is not God, then you start to become like that thing. I've spoke about that many times. You start to emulate it, just like the Israelites when they were in, when they were worshiping the calf. They, that calf had eyes but couldn't see, ears but couldn't hear. They had a spot for a brain but had no brain. So they became just like that. And you can see all throughout scripture, they, they call the Israelites the ones who had eyes but couldn't see, ears but couldn't hear, had a mind but couldn't comprehend. They also called them stiff-necked. That ox that they created there in the calf had a stiff neck because oxes were made to plow the fields. It was made to, to be able to withstand lots of the weight. And so the Israelites turned out having stiff necks. They turned out not being able to foresee anything futuristically because they were so inundated on worshiping something that was other than God. They didn't have the vision they needed to. They, they had ears, but they couldn't hear the voice of God clearly in their, in their actions. And they also had a, had a brain, but they become foolish in their ways, thinking that they were wise, being able to create something and then worship it as if it was something that was great. In this passage here, these guys knew very well what idolatry was, especially in the Roman, Roman Empire. They knew a lot of Greek mythology that was happening around there, and then they also knew, a lot of people knew about Egyptian mythology. And so all these things, they were able to know that, you know, you had this kind of uh, repti reptilian god, you had this other one that, that did this one thing, and then you had another one. So they became polytheistic in the way that they would worship. And these things would lead them consistently into honoring something that would always uh, aim them much lower than what they were supposed to go to. Because God, when we worship God, he is the one who created us, and therefore he is the one that has the greatest plan for us and is able to gift us with the knowledge and the wisdom to be all that we were created to be. One of the Egyptian gods was, uh, was Horus, and that was one that had, had, uh, had vision. It, had, it was the eye of Horus, and, and the reason why they used the eye was because it was so high up and it could see down, and so they used it as as Horus is going to give me the vision to proceed on in the ways that I need to go. But in reality, Horus could never go as high or fly as high or be all-knowing as it needed to, as God could. And so you're always replacing when you idol idol well, idolize. Thank you. Wow, words. I promise I went to school. Uh, when you idolize anything that is other than God, then you will always miss the mark. Always miss the mark which is sin. To sin is to miss the mark. And so Paul saying that I'm called to both the wise and the foolish. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm called to each and every one of the people that I can come in contact with and to deliver this great message to them. Even though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, verse 24, and we'll, we're, we're getting close to being done with this. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. 
is, this is hard to read. To see that, that he said that God gave them over to their sinful desires. But yet Paul still says that he is called to the wise and the foolish. Detailed these people. This is, this is why I love that he starts off that I'm called to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the foolish and the non-foolish. Because right off the, right off the top, he's letting me know now, in light of everything that I'm going to say, you know this, I'm called to the wise and to the foolish. So whether or not you may deem someone as being, uh, being unable to come back from this woke ideology or this leftist progressivism or from this, this certain lifestyle or whatever it is that, that you're thinking, you're like, ah, oh, they're too far gone. There's no way. We are called to go into the world to make disciples. One of the last mandates that Christ said was that we are to go and make disciples. Not go and make converts, not go and make them pray a sinner's prayer, but we're supposed to go and make disciples. And discipleship is much more than just make sure that they attend a service. Discipleship means that we're actually living out an example that shows them who Christ is. And we also are knowledgeable enough as we grow in our relationship to share this with those people as well. And then for those who don't know Christ, that we're able to display what Christ looks like for them. That way, whenever we actually have conversations with people, we don't have to pop off the top because we get frustrated because we actually don't know the answer to the question that they're asking. It's okay to not have the answer to the question, but it's not okay not to research and not to do our due diligence and find an answer. To seek after the wisdom of the Lord so that we can have a, a, a good conversation with somebody. Because a lot of times when we, for, I'll just talk for myself, I'm not going to lump everybody in it. But if I get very aggravated and I can't figure it out, it's very easy for me to want to then elevate my voice a little bit more and try to reestablish my dominance in, in that conversation to hopefully grab onto something that I know for sure. But it's wise to also say, you know what, I actually don't know, but I, I'll, I'll go back and I'll do some, do some reading and I'll do some research because this is an important question that you have. People could respect that much more than trying to grasp in the air for an answer and hope that it makes sense. I, I, I have to make sure that I'm doing that more and more. Because it's easy for me to say, you know, hey, I'm an associate pastor of the church, I went to seminary, I've got a master's divinity, I'm now starting to teach at the university level, so, you know, I should have a lot of the answers that you have questions to. So I have to fight internally and say, you know what, if I don't know the answer to a question, I need to just say I don't know. And be cool with that and say, I, but I'll do research and I'll, I'll come back to you because this is a valuable question to know. This is why we have to be in the Word. We have to be in the Word. Because if we're firm and confident in our identity in Christ, as we have conversations with people, that will show. And our confidence is not in my words. My confidence is in Christ and what He's done in my life. And as I go through more and more, I'll be able to have a greater revelation of his love. And I'll be able to display that for people who are around me. You can be the most simple person in the world and you can see the most brilliant person you've ever met come to know Christ through you because it's not you who brought them. It's the Holy Spirit who drew them and your love that helped make a way. Paul uses, um, uh, in Philippians, he uses the word to advance the kingdom. That word advance um, it is actually a military term to where you blaze a trail. So you actually blaze a path for someone to advance the kingdom of God. And so when we blaze trails, uh, they, 
Dave Mack, we were talking about this passage. He was preaching over this, so this is why it's fresh on my mind. We were talking about this passage and, and came up with this, this, this cool picture that instead of worrying about the trial that you feel has blazed through your path, worry about blazing a trail through that trial. Knowing that that trial can lead someone to intimacy with the Lord as they watch you walk through that trial. Because again, as James says, consider it pure joy when you encounter these trials, not if you do, but when you do. You will go through times in your life that you're going to struggle. You're going to go through times in your life where you're going to be disappointed. I have a pastor friend of, of mine that uh, on my way back from, from the youth camp yesterday, I, went, I stopped by and saw him and his, uh, his wife was there. Uh, their son has been in the hospital for 60 days now. Today is 61, day 61. Um, he wasn't supposed to live past the age of like three or five, something like that. He has a, a, a part of his heart only works. He had to have surgery. I think they actually had to remove part of something that was in there. I'm not a doctor, so I, I can't tell you the greatest uh, technological terms. But part of his, only part of his heart works. And uh, he, he really wasn't supposed to make it much, much longer after he was born. Um, but he's 17 today. He's, today's not his birthday, but he's 17 right now. And uh, he's still alive. He has tons of complications right now. He had a, um, an episode where he had a brain bleed. Um, then his heart was, he had a blockage um, in one of the arteries, main arteries in his heart. And then uh, he started having some other things happen in his stomach, his liver. And, uh, and I just sat and talked with his dad for about an hour, hour and a half. And, uh, and it was encouraging for me to just sit and listen to him. I mean, I told him when I came here, I was like, look, I don't have answers to any of the questions you're fighting through. Um, and he just, he, he talked me through his thought process, how, how he's still holding in faith that, that what God does in his son Jackson's life, it will bring him glory. That's rough. Day 60, he, I mean, he's living on, on his brother's couch, essentially close by the hospital, and his wife has not, I think she left the hospital one time for one night, but every other night she spent in the hospital with her son. They're both just exhausted beyond all, all imagination. And he still, I mean, we were able to, to, to laugh and to giggle with one another. And he was like, man, I, I have, he said, I can do nothing else of myself but trust in Jesus in this moment. He said, I've, he said, I've done everything. If it's like, I've repented for everything. And he said, he's gone through all this process of even thinking, could it be me? Uh, could it be something that we did? And he's like, I, I know that I cannot do anything on my own in the midst of this. He said, and it'd be easy for me to give up. He said, it'd be easy for anybody to give up in this, in this area. He's like, but my, my hope and my strength is found in Christ alone because I myself have, have not made it. I could not make it on my own, on my own merits. And so through this trial, he's blazing a trail of faithfulness trusting in God of watching his son deal through things his skin color changing changing colors and just all the different tubes they've got to deal with for him and, and, and many of you pro probably also have stories of either family members or friends or people that you've known who have gone through just tragic tragic circumstances and some of them have been miraculously healed and others have, have passed away still still yet knowing that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Knowing that on this side of heaven, this is the only time that we'll ever be able to offer this type of praise to the Lord 
in the midst of our trial, that, that in our confusion of why did this happen, is it something I could have done, all the questions that you could have, and you ball it up and you just say, here, God. I don't know the answer to the question, and I, I can't pretend that, I'm, that I know what, what he's even going through in this moment, but I know that I can offer up this confusion and I can offer up the mystery of this circumstance to you and just have faith that, that you are the one that knows what needs to happen. And then if he pulls through this and it's a miracle process, I'm gonna give you praise. But if he goes on to, to glory and he, he goes to heaven, then I know that you've healed him on that side of heaven and that he has a much glorious experience now with you. And I can give you praise because I know that he knows you. I can offer up in the mystery because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the mystery in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of following after Christ. I'm not ashamed of doing these things. And I'm not pushing away those who I, who I deem are foolish. I'm not pushing those people away and I'm not writing them off. But I know that I'm called to love people. I'm called to give glory to God. I'm called to just love Him so that other people can see what a life submitted to God really looks like. We don't need more keyboard warriors who are full of information. Lord knows there's information for every single subject that you could probably think of in a million different interpretations of how that's supposed to go and how it's not supposed to. Sooner or later, we have to walk away from that information and say, you know what, I need to go back to the basics, like what John says. I need to get back to my first love and realize that he is the one that truly matters. And it's good to have information. It's good to have knowledge. I mean, shoot. I have a seminary degree. There's a re I, I wanted knowledge. I want to continue to learn and to grow, but I cannot place that in front of my relationship with the Lord. And I cannot place that in front of people and sacrifice loving them because I want to ascribe to something that isn't quite the love of God. So I want us to just take just a few moments as we close. I want you, I want you to, to consider how, how often am I actually in the word throughout the week? I don't want you to feel shame for this. Again, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not, you should feel a lot of shame and guilt over that question. You need to feel the love of God in, in this question as it's just a, a helpful challenge. How often are you reading? How often do you, do, you, do you seek after his face? How often do you just offer a prayer? It doesn't have to be for four hours a day again. But how often do you reference back to that? How often is his word on your mind? In, in the book of, uh, of Psalms, it says it's, it's like tattooed on your heart. So it, it's, it's written on a place to where as things happen in your day, scripture is the thing that comes to mind and you react from scripture and not just your feelings. So where sooner or later, as you do that, your feelings will, will conform to the ways of the Lord and not the ways of the world because you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse two. How often are we in the word? How often are we reading? Are we just a passive Christian who just, we're not doing anything to advance, to blaze a trail for others to walk across as they see your example? Or are you really overstepping your bounds and you're just wanting to speak truth so much that you forgot love? How often are we responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit instead of, instead of trying to, to step into a narrative that is other than the gospel? 
So Father, we just come to you this morning humble and, and expectant for, for you to do something inside of us. Father, thank you for, for your word. Thank you so much that, that you, you impressed upon these, these people of old to, to write down things as they, as they challenged other believers and as they sought after your face and as they lived lives that, um, that were, they were e- even scandalous in some ways. And, uh, and you still chose to, choose, you chose to use them in a way that is much different than, than what many of us have even encountered. So we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, just convict us of the things that we have, we have not done correctly. Father, where we've missed the mark, help us pick up that arrow and take another shot. Guide us in the process of, of our everyday lives. Lord, we do not want to be Christians who are only attendees of a Sunday morning gathering with the name of Christian ascribed on our Facebook profile, saying this is our viewpoint. But in reality, we're not living a life that reflects you. Lord, we want to actually know you so that as we go throughout our days, we can be sensitive to your voice. We can ascribe ourselves to your preferences and not just how we feel. Lord, help us to love those who, are, who we even deem foolish. Because there's a lot of things going on in this world that, that are questionable to us. There's some things that, that, uh, that can really grind our gears and can aggravate us and can, can really frustrate us in many different ways. But Lord, help us be people who can really love those people. Help us be those who can blaze a trail so that other people can walk down and realize who you are so they can have a relationship with you. Let us be people who are drawn to your word and and throughout the day remember and reflect on those things. And Lord, give us courage so that we're not ashamed of the gospel. Let us stand for our faith, knowing that you are the answer, knowing that you are the one that we need to to please, knowing that you are the one that our identity is found in. We love you, God. We give you praise because you're worthy of it. You're so worthy of it. Thank you for your patience, goodness. You have so much patience for us, and, and many times when we're thinking other people are foolish, we're also standing right next to them in the foolish line. So let us love you. We love you well. Always go back to our first love. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. I, I would like to also offer up, if anybody would like prayer, or maybe you feel convicted and would like to talk over a little bit more of any of this stuff, then uh, Pastor Ken and myself will be up here. We'll be kind of hanging out. Otherwise, feel free to, to, to go ahead and leave. You guys can enjoy a wonderful time with your family. Go grab some food with somebody. Sit down and listen to somebody's story. Um, it's wonderful to be able to, to listen to great, great, great testimonies of what God has done in other people. And we miss out on that a lot of times when we don't sit at a table with somebody and converse with them. Love you guys. Have a wonderful, marvelous week.